0: Rising. Hearing is one of our earlier developed senses. So by the time you're two, hearing is pretty well developed. Unlike vision, vision takes longer. And what studies have shown is that if you have an unaddressed hearing problem at two or three or four or five, where they only really find out when you're five or six, those years are very important for your Psychological, education, communication, development, to such an extent that a lot of kids who aren't caught early enough are essentially trapped as being difficult or withdrawn. So by the time you can address the problem, the years of the damage is is hard to, yeah, hard to redress.
1: Welcome, everybody, to Learn With Lowell. Today, we're joined with Jennifer Goodall. I do not believe she's related to the other Goodall. She is the CEO of Mind Effect. Uh, Jennifer, welcome to the show. And are you related to Jennifer Good- uh, the other Goodall?
0: My, yeah. I definitely get asked that all the time. Mm. I wish I were. I love her work. And she's an amazing woman. So I used to pretend that we were related. And she actually spoke at my business, uh, business school graduation, but I never got to meet her. But mm. no, I'm not related in any way to Jane Goodall. So Mm. sadly, yeah, that's the case.
1: Yeah. A quick note. Uncle Sam wants you to help make this show successful. Subscribe and become a member today.
0: But I am related to Bobby and Pete Goodall, who are my parents. Um, That makes
1: more sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, and they were school teachers in a small town in Massachusetts.
1: Mm -hmm. So not
0: quite Jane Goodall's sort of global global expertise in groundbreaking, you know, anthropology work, but, uh, you know.
1: Yeah. Still close. The Well, I, I've been talking with her about coming on the show, and if she is, I'll see about her adopting you. You know, ma- like, maybe oh, semi-unofficially. I, I would Yeah, be, I would
0: be, but yeah. I do have, I have, like, you know how some people have a superpower? Well, I have kryptonite, and my kryptonite is famous people. So when I speak to famous people, I, just, bah, bah. I can't speak. I get really shy. So hopefully I I will just sort of memorize a few lines and not look like a fool. Yeah, but point. I get asked literally all the time.
1: Okay. The, well, you can always three. record record like, thank you for adopting me in advance. When she, has, <laughs> when she asks you a question, you can just push or just like, thank you. No, yes. You know, you can just like do uh, that. So you don't have to speak. You can be like, a no, that's cool. that's
0: cool. That's cool. I've had people who uh, I've had meetings with them. And then at a certain point, they just start calling me Jane.
2: <laughs> mm. It's
0: like, so Jane. You know how do you feel today and i'm like well actually my name is jennifer but if it's an important client i'll say you but you can call me jane that's fine mm. so yeah it's a it's a good question
1: yeah the i think uh looking at your your backstory you have some of the things that uh who's the guy who found an amazon it's not warren buffett i don't know why i'm thinking of that he's the bald guy who's the guy who, amazon
0: Goodness. Now what, we're I'm both. Playing
1: founder of amazon everyone's gonna make fun of us founder of amazon there you go yeah the bozo so he he started he started at wall street and then he uh founded his company and then it got really big so if we if we look at that structure great things should be coming to mind effect
0: oh thanks a little pressure me jeff bezos how about me and michael Bloomberg, who actually used to work at the same company and left a few years before i started And, um, yeah, I think he did pretty well at something as well. So yeah, Yeah, no pressure. What
1: is, what did you meet him? Was he like a neat person or is he just like an average Mm -hmm.
0: Joe? No, no, no. I never met him. So he left in 81 when I started at the same company in 85. So he was long gone, but, uh, yeah, he, he created the whole, it was Solomon brothers, a big wall street house. And he created this whole internal system for us to communicate with everybody from floor to floor and to be able to access data. And then something happened, I guess, and they didn't want to keep investing in it. So he went off to do his own thing, which perhaps you've heard of, which got really popular and amazing. But for years, there was this thing where at Solomon, you couldn't have a Bloomberg screen, which was really a drag because Bloomberg's were so much better than the old system that we were using. So it's kind of a funny thing. But uh, no, but yeah, it is it is funny to leave Wall Street. Um, well, I left Wall Street many years ago to move to the Netherlands, and I did banking here in the Netherlands for a really, 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 really long time. and I finally just had done every deal I wanted to do, uh, every transaction, and I was really tempted to see what else I had in me because banking can be fun it's it's especially the kind of banking that I was doing. Um, But I was solving puzzles all day for other Mm -hmm. people. And that's very it's challenging. You get paid pretty well, but it's very two dimensional. And when you really start working for your own business, not only do you solve problems and puzzles every day, but you're deciding what universe that puzzle should even be played in or should you play that game at all? So it's very much a three dimensional experience. Mm -hmm. and tests your your metal uh, quite quite a bit more than banking Mm
1: -hmm. what what is so i've heard of bloomberg bloomberg terminals before but why are they so revered i've not done banking or you know stock stuff so i don't so
0: um well imagine i don't i i'm you look a little young compared to me maybe but um, i'm
1: i'm like 30. okay
0: so can you imagine a world without the internet
1: I didn't have internet until I was 15. So, yes.
0: Okay. So, just imagine you're 12 and. (laughs)
2: Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, so, and you have uh, thousands of people you need to speak to every day, all of whom need to know exactly what you're doing to, in banking, do a large transaction potentially worth hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. So, you have an office in London, an office in Singapore, maybe the client lives in Canada. So you're dealing with, remember the old-fashioned phones that you used to have to hold?
2: Mm-hmm. What
0: Bloomberg did was he sort of created the internet. So we were all connected through cables. So through a special, you know, communication system, we could all be doing a trade for someone, one buyer here, one seller there, and the trader and everyone in the middle next, sitting next to me. And then you could just do these transactions. Basically, you could do simultaneous the only other way to do that was with multiple phone lines. Yeah. You know, we had, you had two people on each ear. You know, I had to, I actually used to wear earrings, but I was on the trading floor for so long that my, it started hurting too much. So I never wore earrings again,
2: yeah.
0: or we had fax machines and they would always break when you needed them the most. So with the Bloomberg screen, you can send things, you can do tickets through Bloomberg. So it, and then also he built this really great system of um, information about how bonds were trading, stocks, all sorts of stuff. But for example, if we were gonna plan a trip, you know how you go now, Google tickets or something Mm -hmm. like that. In those days, the only online tool we had that I know was available was you do, I think it was Fly One or something. And that was, yeah, kind of a precursor to what you guys now, what we all have for free in the internet.
1: Hmm. And then what, what is the, is there any utility? Like what is the use of Wall Street? All I know about, like, when I hear about Wall Street, it's never good things. Um, did they do anything good? Do they make the world better, or do they just like move beans around? Like, what is what is the utility of Wall Street?
2: Hmm. Well,
0: I'm not here to defend.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I was
0: just wondering. So <laughs> just wondering. I left Wall Street. I did Wall Street, man. <laughs> yes, I did Wall Street yes. for like 25 years. So, I'm not here to defend it. Um, yes. And there are an awful lot of awful people on Wall Street. Uh, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of movies, and I've actually met those people <laughs> and worked with those people. So, uh, but essentially, I, I do believe that you need to, uh, companies need to raise capital. And Wall Street is kind of the, you know, you have the capital providers, for example, your your pension fund. I don't know if you have a pension fund, but I'm sure you know someone with a pension Mm -hmm. fund, an insurance company. They have to invest. And they need a way to do that. And one of the ways to do that was an investment bank or bank would go to a large private company who also needed capital to grow. So they would then bring that company in an organized fashion and to the market and create, you know, share certificates that could be sold to not just pension funds and insurance companies, but also it could be made small enough in small enough packages that it could be sold to you. to you. Mm-hmm. So it, it basically helps felicitate, uh capital going from people who need to invest and want to invest to people who want to use it in the right way to grow the company and grow the businesses. And it helps make the credit markets just that much more efficient because it's a very viciously competitive market. So they're all trying to outbid each other. So when they do, that means that, I don't know if you were IBM and you wanted to borrow money, it's a great way to borrow money is to call four investment banks to say, hey, what's my price on a 10-year bond? And they know that they're bidding. And instead of a a 3% coupon, maybe you end up with 2.5%. So it's it's just it, it creates a very efficient way to allocate capital. Um, that's how it was set up. But then, of course, whenever you're moving that much large sums of money through, kind of a, a small funnel, a lot uh, can get siphoned off. Mm-hmm. And so then you had a lot of the excesses, uh, particularly in the old days.
2: Yeah. So okay. I
0: get. Yeah. I I I would imagine it's it. There's you would really miss if wall street were you know the us would not be where it is if there were no longer wall street
1: mm. yeah i was just wondering cuz you know if, if we if, if jane goodall is like the anthropologist for monkeys i was wondering if we if you could be the anthropologist for wall street and it does sound like okay, there's some, there's some utility there, that uh, when you're a large enough organization, you get to kind of dictate your interest rates because you get to negotiate with other people a little bit. And then the people you're negotiating with have like somewhat of a bar that they don't like to go below. I was talking to a person with a lot of money and he said that you can go to a bank and you can negotiate your interest rate, which is like to like 1% and you basically get it to what the bank gets the money from. I was like, oh, that's kind of weird that the, the banks get the money at a certain rate And then you can get it like basically marginally above what the banks get. But like the average person pays like 8% when they get a loan. It's like, so at a certain point, it seems like money, when you have enough money, it's like things are nicer for you in terms of interest rates.
0: Oh, for sure. So uh, yeah, it is kind of counterintuitive. I guess if you look at it that way, although that story sounds a little kooky, (laughs) but um, so uh, banks will love to lend to people who are what's called a very good credit risk. And a good credit risk means that they know they're getting their money back plus the interest rate, which is their return. Mm -hmm. As a result, they're willing to charge less because the risk is lower. And that's the one, the most important thing I think you can learn about banking or finance is risk reward. So if the risk is higher, you want more money to compensate for taking more risk. And if the consequences, if the risk is lower, you'll charge less because that's a more certain return. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Those, those are kind of basic. Yeah. Sorry. Some of that's just so inbred in me that I mm. just assume the world knows that, but now yeah. I work with all these AI scientists and it's hysterical, you know, these are like the really smart kids that you're like, Oh God, those guys. And now I'm their boss. <laughs> it's hysterical because I'm always amazed that these, you know, they have PhDs and all this other stuff. And then they're like, well, I don't know. The, the questions they ask are just hysterical. But yeah, it's not a world they're familiar with. Mm. So from the, of from,
1: like, the, from the finance side of things, like it's like uh, those are the questions that they're uh, curious about that, uh, well, financial literacy in general, I'm just trying to be clear. Is that like where they ask word questions or funny questions?
0: Oh, they'll ask really interesting questions like, you know, they don't ever work in Excel. Do you work hmm. in Excel? You know Only
1: Excel. Only when I have to. I usually do everything by hand and then I put it in Excel spreadsheet just to make the sums easier. Oh, I'll do it an you. Excel spreadsheet, but then I, I do like my double booking by hand because I, I like paper.
0: Oh, well, I like paper too. Like I take notes. Yeah. Every On everything. Like I have notebooks like that. I have a stack of them. I never read them. Well, I read them maybe one month back, but... They just help me, helps me remind me yeah. what people are saying while I'm writing it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But Excel is like breathing for me. So I, I have everything in Excel, everything. So yeah, but anyway, so they don't understand like the, ba- you know, and Excel is a pretty basic thing. So they're working in Python and all this. So they'll, I'll have to explain some really basic concepts. Uh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even think of it, but it is pretty funny.
1: Is there a useful, uh i don't know function or whatever in excel that people don't use that you use often i use excel but i just like i'll like add the rows together and do the sum or like i'll multiply it to get percentages and stuff i use very basic excel so there like a cool function that i'm not using that people de- uh, tend not to use that uh, you use
0: well what i use all the time is um something that allows you to review your formula so where did mm. this what what uh what cells are are supporting this formula in this row because when uh-huh. you have big models and you get an answer, it's like, oh shit, where did that come from? <laughs> so you're like, you you double click on this special thing, and it gives you all the arrows of where, uh, you know, whether you added this or subtracted that, and what what cell it came from, and what row or what sheet mm. in the uh, you know what tab in the Excel. But yeah. that's my that's my go to. I love mm. that one.
1: So because you know wall street banking finance so well were you able to translate that into doing your round and doing your capital arrangements with mind effect so you got like really really good deals like were people more willing to give you money and then when they gave you money you got really good deals because of it in your mind compared to like when you talk to other uh startup founders you're like wow why did, why would you accept that and they're like well i didn't know there was a better deal out there i didn't know you could do this well
0: i hope so because i'm in the middle of a financing yes. now so mm-hmm. I'm really hoping that my financial acumen starts showing some value at some point.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I think what's useful is projections. Um, yeah, all the analytics, financial modeling is all done. You know, and a lot of founders who are brilliant scientists or medical people in my space, or engineers in other spaces, that's something that they would find just so painful and difficult. So for me, that's that's very easy. So anytime an investor wants to watch, let's talk valuation or let's look at these projections, I'll say, oh, excellent. Let's look at my model, you know, and I'll just change a few things and then they they get exactly what they need. At the end of the day, for a startup, um, I think being very well organized with your businesses and your finances is important because it shows that you'll be around for the long term. Mm -hmm. But what's really important is uh, is the idea, the market, the the phase of the product that you're of your product and where it is. So whether, for example, in medical certification or how, you know, biggest question, how how close are you to revenue? You know, when's first revenue? Where's your MVP? Where's your validation? So those are really key. The financing to me, I consider the financial model, the business plan. Again, that's all stuff I was trained to do um, and spent many years doing it that's I consider it good housekeeping mm. like you know, but it's it so it really helps. I think what's very interesting for me is running this AI startup thinking along again this this three d element of what can we do with this superpower of the technology that we have, and that's been just. You know, even though I was a banker for years and did lots of exciting, fun things, that's really cool. So that's like having a real superpower and not just being essentially a human calculator for some business to make more money. Um, so that's actually a whole new side of myself that I think I always had, mm-hmm. but just never used to the right extent. Maybe I used it to the extent possible in banking because I was
2: yeah. pretty,
0: pretty creative on the deals that I did. And a lot of the clients that I covered, but but this is a whole different. It's like going from I don't know a Fiat to a Porsche. It's just different speed, you know, just completely different experience. It's cool. Well, it's tiring, but cool.
1: Yeah, I haven't been at Wall Street, so I haven't driven a Fiat or a Porsche. Uh, maybe, maybe the next I time I'll I actually drive.
0: Barely drive. I have an Audi, so but i'm just oh, okay.
1: trying to
2: you know
1: yeah i know i know i'm just teasing you because you came from wall street i i you know like wolf of wall street people and their uh, you know car doors that go up and stuff The uh so <laughs>
2: yeah
0: i don't even is, know if they have cars yeah they
1: just the, have
0: their helicopter
1: mm. then um when you when you are talking to other sharp uh founders and what have you is there anything structurally different than what you're doing it sounds like there's a level of preparedness that lets them feel like all right you're the risk rewards better, so then you get better like financially numbers potentially. um so they take less equity or whatever you're able to give them. But um is there anything like structurally you do differently? Like, I know a lot of people use safes when they're early enough, but that Y Com is kind of pioneered some um, well,
0: I think there's a lot of so um there's a lot of structural things when you raise a financing round. So you need to understand the structure of the different documents, shareholder agreement, subscription agreement. Articles of Association, uh, term sheets, and negotiating those. It's really helpful to know what could be the issue ahead of time, mm. and that's something that yeah, I have years of experience negotiating documents. So uh, yeah, I guess it's a superpower. Not that I'm a lawyer, because I yeah. can. There have been worse than banker. No, I'm kidding. my husband's a lawyer, so I can say that. Mm. But um, I, when you go through an entire document, there's not a lot of mystery there for me. So I can negotiate hard without. And I also know how I'm relatively comfortable negotiating. To me, it's, I always I decide ahead of time, do I want this deal to get done or not? And if I don't need to get done. Oof, I know you know I ask for the world, but I always try you always want to try and get the deal done and give away I think as much as you can, but make certain you get everything you need and then you know see what room is left mm-hmm. and uh yeah, so that's something that I'm quite comfortable. I enjoy that actually, like if I had a choice of i don't know party with my friends or negotiating, uh, I don't know it's kind of fun,
2: yeah,
0: so it's uh yeah. I think that's probably a, a huge help,
2: hmm. and plus, yeah,
0: but- yeah, having been a banker, I can make slides and models and things like a, like a maniac. Hmm.
2: <laughs> like the- a
1: do you, um, so? There's many different types of negotiation. There's like strategy and stuff that people use. Some some um, who's the guy that everyone thinks is a war criminal? Uh, he was uh, he was in the White House for a while in the 70s. He carpet bombed Laos. He's still alive. Oh, fuck. All right, there's a guy. Henry
0: Kissinger.
1: Yeah, Kissinger. People think he's a war criminal. So the um, he said that what he likes to do when he negotiates with people is he'll he'll just say what he wants, like he'll be as closest to what he's looking for as possible, and then negotiate closer. Versus saying like, I want something really high, and then like try to negotiate people down. He like tries to get right there, and then when people think that he's trying to negotiate down, he's like, No, that's what it is. And then he just kind of like. Like puts the gun on the on the table and it's like that's this is what we're talking about. Um,
0: I love but, that. I love yeah. that. I didn't you, know he I, yeah, I've never studied Kissinger, but I I love that. No, look, I, I you know, look, life's short. And there are some people who live to simply negotiate. Okay. Yeah, sorry, I've got a business to run and I've got other people then to take the spot of some joker who's who's wasting my time. Hmm. So I think that's, that's really cool. I like that. I've never heard that. I I think that there are some it, what's interesting is to learn how to negotiate in different cultures.
2: Oh yeah. So well, that's word. how you
0: do it. Yeah, for example, so the way that Kissinger did it or the way that you mentioned he did it, um that's how I would no- negotiate with someone, perhaps maybe the Netherlands or Norwegian, sort of northern Europe. But if you're doing maybe southern Europe, <laughs> they they really think that if you start here, oh, then they've reframed the whole negotiation range to here. So, so it's, it's a little bit like you have to realize what style of culture that mm-hmm. you'll be negotiating in. Because sometimes you, you have to say, okay, well, I want the world just because if you don't ask, their feelings are hurt. Mm-hmm. And then they think you're here. So then they're going to try and bring you here. And you're like, no, I'm here because you should be here. And that's yeah. also I remember in banking because I would have to negotiate with my Greek clients, get a deal, and then bring it to credit risk. And you know if they were unreasonable, I would, if I didn't negotiate in the right way, then we never came to an agreement. I would could couldn't bring it because then I have to sell it. I would have had to sell it to risk and make mm-hmm. sure it was a good deal for the bank. So it is, yeah. It's funny. It's it's yeah. I haven't thought about that in a long time.
1: Is there a culture that are the hardest, har- hardest negotiators, but they get the best results? Because there's some people who are like bad nego like hard in terms of a bad way, where like they ask for the moon, but they don't understand how to like finagle it around to actually get what they're looking for, so they lose a lot of deals. So who who are like the best negotiators, but actually get results at the same time? Anyway, that you've experienced, like the cultural wise.
0: Culture, oh yeah, I I like Northern Europe. I think is is the most reasonable. It's hmm. just they're so, so they they're not. Um, They've got other things to do. So, you know, this is not, this is not an end game. This, you know, this, this is not the whole game. This is just a means to an end. So let's get to the end and let's start to work. And also what, what happens, and I think this is really important in negotiations, particularly for startup founders or CEOs, when you're negotiating to bring on a new equity player. It's kind of like negotiating a prenup right before the wedding. Like you're not going to want to hate each other before you walk down the aisle. And I think some people forget that you're negotiating to get a deal done and to have a long term value added relationship and respected relationship on both sides. And I've had a case where actually that didn't happen. And the lawyer on the other side was such a horrible human being. That I took, I stopped speaking to them. They really needed me involved in this this deal. I stopped, got my own lawyer, and said, "I won't speak to you, and we're starting from scratch. Everything we've negotiated at this point is now gone off the table, and I'm gonna I'm restarting. And either you're in or you're out. And I don't think it's right and a good strategy to push someone to that point. Because then they're, they're one foot's out the door. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if you were going to negotiate your employment contract with a, with a company, do you want them to try and say, ah, yeah, but every time you drink water from the water fountain, we deduct 10 cents? Like,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. you know, give me a break, dude. If, if there's absolutely no respect for each other during the negotiation process, to me, I use that as, you know, your dating period as well. Yeah. Like we know we're trying to get to a fair point for everyone, but we're also on a relationship
2: mm-hmm.
0: and a respected long-term relationship.
1: Yeah, the,
2: I,
0: I no, feel I, pretty I, passionate about this. I'm sorry. <laughs> this
1: no, I like it. Yeah? No, no, I like it. Yeah. Uh, no, I like it. It makes a lot of sense to me because I've worked with people who they were the type that would just, they would just keep trying to skin you over and over again. Like, yeah. just, like you'd shake their hand, they would try and take a pinky and whatever. I just kept telling this person, If you want you're trying to negotiate deals with someone who you want to then work with you
0: relationships yeah yeah
1: and and i'm telling you this person just how they're i'm reading their body language and i'm I'm gonna talk to them later i'm gonna i bet they're gonna say x y and z to me without my prompting and they're basically gonna feel like you're like like stealing their kidney like you're like really being inappropriate here he's like well who cares well i'm getting the best deal i can it's like oh okay but that person's gonna work if you end up making a deal with them, they're going to work minimally, and they're probably going to try and find something else if because they're in a position, well, yeah,
0: yeah, you felt perhaps on your side, you felt humiliated and disrespected. and those are those are not two key tenets of the beginning of a long-term relationship that you want to establish, yeah we, as an employer and employee, you know it, it, yeah. so it is. and also, I think there's an issue of trust about what that person will do in the future and how empowered you make each other feel to be able to do that. Because that's that's another thing about a startup that you don't experience so much, for example, in an established large company. A startup is like a bicycle. It's a cool bicycle, but you need to pedal hard and fast. There's a lot of hills and anything that's downhill and easy is usually bumpy and muddy and you can fall and slip. So, you need so much positive energy and support and motivation to get on that bike every morning and pedal your ass off to make sure you're beating the odds every bump in the road. And if you don't feel empowered or respected by, I don't know, your team or your shareholders or your stakeholders, okay, if it's one or two, but if it becomes sort of a thing and you think, why am I doing this? You know, if, if, you need the wind in your back. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and I imagine that's perhaps how you feel when you walk into a you know, a job position and you feel like, yeah, the main person they had me talking to on the way in was so disrespectful. Like, what does this mean for the whole company? Is that how they all feel?
1: Yeah. It sets a bad standard. That uh, I think in yeah. one scenario I, I literally kicked the guy out of the negotiations from then on because I think it Yeah, it's just like represent- I did. I said,
0: dude, yeah. You're out of here. But to be able to do that, unfortunately, you had to decide to yourself, I'm willing to walk away. Because you don't say that kind of thing without risk. Yeah. And do you really want your new shareholder, your new employee to feel that as a leader of a company? I mean, let's face it. We're leading a company so we can get everyone's energy, motivation, and talents kind of in the same direction Mm -hmm. and is that is that the standard you want to set i I, yeah Yeah. i don't think so
1: i have uh, a lot of friends who are out working like they're looking for jobs or what have you and uh some that are founders and thankfully with the founder ones i can talk to them about how to recruit and hire people in in the right way because like there's a lot of like really bad uh modalities out there but anyway so the yeah. people who are looking for jobs they get like i'm hearing all these horror stories like they showed up 30 minutes late and boom it's like why were you there after seven minutes <laughs> you 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 leave after five if and uh you write them an email saying hey I, you know whatever and move on like they don't respect you like move on if they they'll they'll reschedule with you if it was an accident if they like ran over like but sitting there for sorry. 30 minutes that's ridiculous
0: but who who is late for whom the company or uh, the employee the
1: company the, to the potential employee
2: We don't do that.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. You seem like you're on your, on your, on your, uh, you're not.
0: Because I mean, why, I don't know. I guess I also, perhaps one of the reasons I thought about switching or I've been thinking about it for a long time, but you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's kind of nice to readdress your karma and say, okay, you know, why don't we just really think about being a little bit more of a better force in the world? So. What's the point of being a negative force? Like, how many people really get joy out of just being me? And if that's the kind of person you are, then maybe you need to rethink that. You know, <laughs> like how could that really make someone happy? But yeah,
1: yeah the other curmudgeons. But yeah, yeah. you out there. Uh, I think you know if you're in a spot where you can know your value, because sometimes people are in a position where they've come you know from not the greatest position and they have like college debt or whatever and they're getting like these terrible offers out there um if, if only there was a way to like collectively bargain do okay here's a question i'm like standing really hard on this one by the way but i just thought of something i was talking to a business friend of mine and he was telling me or she i will not dox them the that they thought unions were anti-capitalist as someone who worked wall street do you think unions are anti-capitalist i don't think so they, they seem like another example of capitalism like a bunch of people working together for a common good I was, like, kind of capitalist.
2: <laughs> okay.
0: Well, yeah, look, my parents were part of a teacher's union, and that was a yeah. very important part of their lives.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm uh, the eldest child, so, of course, you know, these are things that helped us have a good life because they were able to get good medical care and good pensions, mm-hmm. and they worked incredibly hard for not a lot of money, but yeah. And as a Wall Street person, you know, you're not unionized. There was, I think I might've even been part of a union at ABN AMRO Bank. Like in the Netherlands, everybody's a union. So I'm not quite sure what it really does for you. Um, And I think there's forms of it that are different in all sorts of countries and all sorts of sectors. But in general, if you go back to the concept of fairness, If you have a marketplace where all the employers, you only have three employers in the whole country, like Amazon, Walmart, and I don't know who else. Tesla.
2: Target. Yeah, Tesla.
0: Target or whatever. So in a way, they've kind of unionized and they've basically squeezed out sort of any sort of competition. Mm -hmm. So then you have to be very careful to say, well, how fair is it that you don't let the other side of the table Be organized in a similar way. How but if you have hundreds of thousands of places where people can work, find work easily, then theoretically the employment uh wages and benefits should compete appropriately so that you're not overpaying people, but also you're not forcing your workers to also have to live off of food stamps and other things. So Yeah, I haven't answered your question because I think it's a really difficult question. And I don't want to like, for example, anger the French, but, you know, I think they have, you know, really strong unions and they strike all the time. And, you know, I think they can retire. Some sectors can retire at age 55 with full Mm -hmm. pay, you know. So, okay. Do I think that that's fair and reasonable? (laughs) You know, I wouldn't mind retiring 55 with full pay, mm-hmm. but I probably would still do this. So, um, but it is, yeah, I find it hard if the two sides of this equation get too out of whack on either side, then it needs to be addressed in a fair way because you need to let capital meet people and people meet capital in the right way.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Otherwise it's, it becomes, Yeah. You get people locked into jobs at too high a pay, and then they drive down the competitive nature of the entire business. Yeah. So look at GM versus Tesla. One is unionized, one isn't.
2: Hmm. From
0: there, draw your own conclusions. Um, And I I don't want to, I'm not super knowledgeable in the car industry or anything, but that's what I'm saying is this. Yeah yeah i'm not against people earning fair wage and having good health care and you know do i think colleges should cost what eighty thousand a year no but those are a lot of the things that are in the u.s but they're not necessarily for example here in the netherlands
1: america's weird but um america's a really good place and i also hear your concern about upsetting the french they do like to riot uh they like they get Strive. upset a lot <laughs> you're moving the the retirement age one year you know they burn down paris and, and america they're <laughs> americans are americans are a little bit more easygoing. i think it's because we're really big of a country i think but um yeah w- actually to talk about americans real quick what is the american style of negotiation do you think it's a good one like from your point of view i'm, I'm too like immersed in america to like see myself i think and how i negotiate so like what is the american style culturally of a negotiation
0: I don't think I know. I don't think I know. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what's so funny. I've lived in Europe now since
2: 1994.
0: So I can tell you what it's like, right like this with someone from Finland or Norway or Greece or Italy or, you know, but I, I assume I do the American negotiation style. Cause I, I haven't really negotiated with anybody in the States for so long. So I would just walk in there with my regular style and sort of expect that they would try and be reasonable. But it would then depend on, are they private equity? Like I've dealt with the private equity guys, not in my field today, but in my past. And you just, so then you would really start sec, uh, what kind of person is this? And a lot of times, you'll go and try and find out what their background is first before you get on the phone, because the one thing you do know is typically Americans are quite can be quite aggressive. And not that I think I—I I don't know—I I can't measure myself. Perhaps everyone's laughing hysterically at the thought that I don't think I'm aggressive. But um, yeah, so what what you'll do is if you know the sector they're in, and you'll you'll get a background of you know you look at their LinkedIn. You know this guy thinks his shit doesn't stick, You know, so you know you you have to you have to really sort of get all the information on the table. Always try and get them to make the first offer, so you can as the on the other side you can build your I don't know what, the landscape. So is are we talking is there a tree here or is are we in a are we in a smooth field or are we in like you know some sort of pit in a dark hole? You just want to keep. Put your lights on as much as possible. So get as mm-hmm. much information from the other side to see how they handle certain questions. And then from there, like if you're buying a house or something, always get the seller to give you the first real selling price, not the one that they've listed. So then you can start filling in around these different questions before you start going for what you need
1: or mm-hmm. want. Because that, that will change sense.
0: in the process. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I don't have an answer, but I would always put them in the sector that where they're they're located, because yeah. different people have do- different types of businesses, have different types of styles, mm-hmm. and they attract that kind of person, and they all want to hire that kind of person as well. So
1: mm. that's interesting. So I could see it where if I was like talking to someone in the energy sector, I was going to negotiate something. I could potentially reach out to a different person in the energy sector, and be like, hey can I have a frank conversation with you to prepare for the other person. Cause it's like, like kind, yeah. Totally. That's interesting.
0: And also um, the other thing is imagine, yeah, you say the energy sector. So I, I did a lot of business in the energy sector, you know, from fracking to, you know, gas offshore stuff. So um, you also have to understand that they believe that their sector is noble I mean they've spent twenty or thirty years of their lives dedicated to these sectors, so you have to you have to get into the same puddle with them and believe also that what they're doing is quite noble, even if they are you know doing whatever they're doing to the climate or the air or the water and then yeah. Yeah, you have to really you have to uh, align with their vibration on this point, get more information, and only then can you start to to formulate what, how you want to go, yeah. I don't know, I just I don't think about it or talk about it. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: sorry if it comes out a little.
1: No, it makes sense. No, make no. You're very. If you think this is troubled, I I would love to see you where you you think your peak precision, because that's probably like like blowing like, through walls or something.
2: I,
0: these are things that I do. So <laughs> yes. I, I don't even. I've never spoken them.
1: Yes, well, well, I think you're doing a great job. I think it, it it makes sense. Anyone out there who's about to go to a negotiation. I think the, the biggest thing I would add that is in this is that you, you're, you're talking about, like one of the underlying things is sometimes people just aren't comfortable negotiating. They feel like it's like an icky, like weird sticky feeling. And so I think the first step is like, get comfortable with that uncomfortableness if you're like, you're new to it and then use all this information to have your confidence. So when you go into it, you know what you're worth, you know, the landscape and you know, all these different things. So instead of knowing you're gonna go down this cavern and it's like completely pitch black and you, and you get like a yeah. little tiny micros- yeah. little tiny flashlight. This- you know the whole landscape you have a big flashlight you know there's you know where the bear is sleeping you know you can be really quiet around the bear you know you can do all these things so like i find that if you're nervous about these things use all this knowledge and um read the book never split the difference and all that combined Mm -hmm. i think you'll do a much better job negotiating for your future it's the weirdest thing is i i i really like hearing uh, a lot of these things that people are going through when it comes to like people email me or comment like i'm having difficulty negotiating or whatever but like, this is a topic that comes up quite often actually and uh, really? so i think i think you've actually given a lot of different sides of it and it seems like the women in particular struggle with it a lot like i think guys it seems like it's okay uh, from what i'm reading this is all, all anecdotal what i'm reading is guys seem a little bit easier to like negotiate or be a little more this is what i want like women it seems that like it's a little harder and so I think hearing from a woman, hey, here's here's my thought process, this is what I do. And it's very, I think it's very, it makes sense. And I think something that anyone listening in could, could do and apply to their life, whether it's negotiating at uh, Starbucks or they're going to go to grad school and they're trying to figure out, is this the place for me? Um, are these people going to treat me well? That type of thing. I think this is something that could be applied to anyone who's listening. In. So um, moving, hey. focusing focusing in on uh, thing. The really cool thing is that you're very, very prepared and unlike some startups that come on here that you gave me your pitch deck so I could like actually research you pretty well. uh, Cause sometimes it's just like, just what's on the internet. and It's like, I know the internet's not right. You know, most of oh, the time. You, yeah. yeah. Your website's actually pretty close. Like I, I didn't do like an analysis of this, like, but it felt like one on one but like uh, there's websites that'll say like, for instance, like we'll talk about like AI in a minute, like, like AI, is a buzzword that many people put on there but there's not a single lick of ai in their company and i've had uh, i've talked to people i don't know if you've been on the show but i've talked to people where i, I asked that question like what is the ai component of your business and by the third thing it's like well we do python it's like that's not ai or machine okay. learning that's just a programming language like well i don't know no the investors seem not to notice like okay that's i feel like that's like defrauding the investors i don't know you should in america you probably should never defraud the investors they get pretty honorary about it but so in and terms I'm of mind def-
0: end of jail.
1: yes yeah uh they can defraud you well that's not true bernie madoff i think went to jail i think it's so if they defrauded you you still get hit like there's some level of like balanced playing field uh eventually i don't know your smile makes me concerned <laughs> but uh so for mind effect. Uh, what is your like 10 second elevator pitch for it for the people listening in? i I could explain I could do my version of it, but I I like to hear other people.
0: Okay, so t- just 10 seconds.
1: Well, you can take as much time as you want. I'll, I'll if you go too long, I'll just interrupt you and start asking questions about it. Okay, cool. Take as much so, time. It, yeah.
0: Okay. The technology was developed out of the AI department at the Dolner's Institute of Neuroscience at Rodbound University in Nijmegen, which Probably none of those nouns in that sentence mean anything to anyone in the United States, except for a handful of neuroscientists. So it's one of the main universities here and they have a whole department of people like this. So the head of the AI department, Professor Peter Desant, woke up one morning and said, huh, and I don't know why he did this, by the way. He said, we can read brain signals. Mm -hmm. You know that. Everybody sort of knows that when you have stimulus coming into your brain, there's a lot of electricity, electrical impulses and responses are happening. And with EEG headsets, you can read them. But it's really noisy. And everything causes a brain response. Like I'm moving my fingers. There's something going on. I'm talking to you. I'm listening to my voice. So my brain's just going all over the place. And what Peter thought of, Professor DeSant, is, uh, if we code the stimuli going in. So if you take a, a tone or a note and you put a, like, almost like an SOS code on it at a certain frequency in decibel. He, he created a way of finding that back from the brain response. So if you hear a big beep, which is coded, he can see it back with our technology. And if you do that enough, you get enough data points that you can create. Um, you know if someone's hearing something, or for example, if they're looking at something, and you can help use artificial intelligence to to eliminate all the other functions that would be creating competing signals because they don't have that code and they're not in that general time frame where you'd expect the response, and in the the general Location of where you would expect that response.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. So, long story short, he created this thing. It lets flashes of light from a computer screen, which is like a keyboard, and it allowed ALS locked-in patients that if they looked at one of these letters, which had this incredibly fast code, almost something that you couldn't even tell, the the person, the locked-in patient, could spell essentially with their eyes and their brain response. And it could spell letters, which was cool, uh, super cool to just do that with brain response. But the, there are a lot of competing technologies, and one of them is Corel, who does eye tracking, which is actually faster and a little bit cheaper. So and that was already in the market. So I was brought in to say, "What else can you do with this technology?" And we thought of a couple of other things when I joined, and one is to use it for diagnostics. So why not just see if somebody can hear you know at different volumes? And it, it turned out that this methodology, the technology could actually be used for hearing, it could be used for vision. And then we thought, well, hey, what if we package it up as like a hearing test? But a super cool hearing test, which you don't have to say anything or push a button or anything like that. So that's what we do. We build diagnostic tests that can filter out the correct brain response to the stimuli you care about knowing whether the patient can hear it or see it or feel it and then we can tell without the person saying a word in less than 10 minutes how well they can hear or see which for you or me is like just push a button you'll be fine
2: Mm -hmm.
0: but for people and there's a lot of people who can't do that well This is a lifesaver. So imagine infants, imagine two-year-olds. Don't you want to know if your two-year-old can hear or see? Well, right now their choice is like clapping to see if the kid turns around. I don't know about you, but these are very important basic functions that a child, you should really know what this child has so you can address the problem, which by the way, the treatments are readily available. They just don't know how to diagnose them properly and efficiently, and fairly. So if you're a little kid and maybe you have autism, maybe you don't speak to anybody, but actually maybe you don't speak because you've been deaf for five years and you're just totally annoyed with the world. Mm-hmm. So filtering out these problems for people who can't speak for themselves, yeah, I, I don't know, it gives me a good feeling, but also it's a huge market. So yeah. it kind of gets both my jets cooking. I don't know, I really mm-hmm. like it. but. Does that
1: explain our, yes. our technology
2: oh, yes cool.
1: I, I i think it did and one thing I, if i'm remembering it right it's not uh well the existing technology when i was a kid you go into a room and they would just go or you know they would like it's on off can you hear this can you not hear this and one thing that i think is particularly interesting about yours is it's gradations so it's like how well are you hearing the sound at the same time if i, if I remember correctly so you can yeah. diagnose more diagnose more yeah. what's going on it's not just can you hear it or not it's like at what level are you hearing it are you starting to develop something that when you catch it early enough you can do something about it i thought that was particularly awesome because i think a lot of people they go through the whole life and they're never sick and that's great congratulations everyone out there don't ever get sick do all the good things that yeah, the doctors say I to totally do i totally
0: recommend don't get sick sure
1: <laughs> yes but when you when you aren't when you're most of medicine is being caught two inches off the ground when there's a problem and they're trying to address it before you hit the ground that you know, either die or something bad happens and so if you can see the early stages of something and really know where it is you can either intervene at that point and make an intervention that stops that cascade of stuff so instead of catching them two inches off the ground and having to do some like pretty gnarly stuff to fix it potentially you can do a smaller intervention potentially and have a bigger effect that can slowly you know ramp up as people age or or what have you i thought that was in particularly very exciting Considering when you're going from like, are you kidding hear it to, I, I might-
0: and even if you fail that, that pass failed test, yeah. then what, what do they do then? How are yeah. they going to put a hearing aid on a kid who doesn't respond except for one or two times? Like th- the thought of putting a hearing aid on a child who actually can't move or speak. How do you know it works for them? Mm-hmm. How do you know it's such incredibly torturous or totally useless? And that's what I find, yeah. Sorry, I get goosebumps at the thought because this one woman, she she's actually on our, our video of our, our home screen, but she said uh she works at a, a child disability center. And um, she said, Yeah, they would watch kids with cerebral palsy. They try because cerebral palsy is a is a has a very high incidence. People with cerebral palsy have a very high incidence of other hearing and vision issues. But let's so they would try. They try very hard to at least address the problems they can. But she said, "Yeah, but then to fit the kid for the hearing aid, they throw him in a, a soundproof box and just hope he responds when he hears something." Yeah. But I can tell you, when you really want to find out the edge of where someone starts stops hearing and does hear, that usually doesn't elicit a, a strong response from people who aren't very responsive. Mm-hmm so it is yeah well i'm glad it it made sense to you because i it's hearing especially hearing this is surprising hearing is one of our earlier developed senses so by the time you're 2 hearing is pretty well developed unlike vision vision takes longer and what studies have shown is that if you have an unaddressed hearing problem at 2 or 3 or 4 or 5 where they only really find out when you're 5 or 6 Those years are very important for your psychological education, communication, development, to such an extent that a lot of kids who aren't caught early enough are essentially trapped as being difficult or withdrawn. So by the time you can address the problem, the years of the damage is is hard to, yeah, hard to redress. And I often see if I speak at a lot of universities, I don't know why. (laughs) Probably because they give me a free T-shirt. No, I'm kidding. Mm-hmm. But, you know, also I do it for recruiting and stuff like that. And it's very rare in an audience of 50 kids, very rare that I'll have anyone with a hearing aid. And what does that mean if the population at that point would say, you know, what, two and a half, three 3% should have a hearing problem. It doesn't mean that neuroscientists don't have hearing problems or hearing people, people with hearing problems don't become neuroscientists it means because you'll see it in every audience it means that they're they're tracked because of these issues which are i find very sad
1: yeah no i, I agree and, and per, per, uh, personally when i was in when i was in college i was I, I i thought you weren't supposed to see leaves when you were walking around or you weren't <gasps> you able to see just, no, no. Yeah, oh. I'm, one, I'm one of your populations. So, like, yeah. well, I was in college. You're my kitchen
2: guy. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And I always sat in the back of the room because uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't see anything anyway. So, I was, might as well just read the textbook and ignore people. And then I, I went to this, get my get glasses. And I was like, oh, I can see the text across the across the street, like across the road in the mall or wherever it was. And I was like, are, is it supposed to be that How good? It's like, yeah. How old I was like you? I was like 18, 20. I went from being like a C student to like an A student.
0: But can you imagine? Yeah it's can you imagine we can catch that at 3 years old like yeah. with a test that actually the vision test is really quick i mean it's not fully developed yet for kids they're now working first you do adults you know love r and d adults first da, 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 da. but the test is like 3 minutes and we can do it so i know a woman who's actually a uh, what is she a um, she works in a vc and she said exactly the same thing. She said, I didn't know trees had leaves till I was 12. Yeah. But if that had been a hearing problem, you would not have been in college by then. Yeah. That's what's so funny, that somehow vision is... So I'll speak to kids, like two-thirds of us will have glasses. And not a single kid will have a hearing aid, maybe one.
1: In, the, in my, I think it was third or second grade, I had a teacher. He was not a very good teacher. Everyone who doesn't like abusing kids might like dislike what I'm about to say. So there was a kid who uh, was a little slower to respond. Like he'd say something and you could just tell he was just like, he wasn't dumb. Or anyway, like you talked to him, you just gave him a second, like he could hear you. But he, you'd have to speak a little louder or whatever for him to hear you. And the teacher that I had... Would just like whack him over the head with a newspaper it's like pay attention pay attention pay attention and oh, uh I, I didn't like that teacher so i just I, I kept i kept pissing him off so he would like come at me versus like yelling at the kid you're uh, such a
0: good person but then i,
1: uh, I don't i don't I have, a th- I have a problem with authority anyway so it was, it was probably gonna happen yeah anyway. <laughs> me too me too
0: but that but didn't that help teach you to have a problem with authority that experience
1: uh, i i think it was i started with my parents and it's <laughs> so, you know it definitely translated it it went
0: downhill,
1: yeah yeah but uh yeah i, I so I just think I'm, already,
0: thinking I'm thinking of bullshit anyway Don't
1: yeah you
2: think?
1: yeah well yes It yes so. there's a yeah but i just thinking about times in my life and i think anyone listening have there been times where someone spoke like couldn't hear you could uh, like i so in my even in my immediate family there's a couple people that clearly can't hear out here out of one ear but you can't tell it unless they say something to you right like hey I, talk to this year not this year And and so when i was first meeting people uh, I heard, I was starting to talk to someone. He was, he was ignoring me. He was like, oh, maybe I'm just not interested in this person. And it's like, oh, no, you have to talk to John's other, the other ear side. to hear you. It's like, oh, and- okay. You know, I wish I could have known that. I thought he was like, he hated what I was saying. You know, I'm new here. Right.
0: Well, that's, that's, yeah. did you know that kids with autism mm. who are diagnosed with autism actually 10% have a hearing problem instead? Imagine what that does, being diagnosed with autism with an undressed hearing problem.
2: Mm. I mean, yeah. they
0: mimic each other, and that's what the governments are really worried about because they know this is a huge issue, and they know they all have mandated infant and childhood screening tests, but they all stink. Yeah. So it's so we're we're pretty excited, and we we have some nice grants from the government to help us fund like this much of it. But
1: yeah, yeah. when I when I was reading your pitch deck, well, a friend of ours uh, recommended you to me and uh i don't know if he wants us to dox him so I'll, I'll double check before i say say anything but the he was on the show so obviously mean, it's kind of obvious yeah but, yeah
0: no i curell is a great guy
1: yes we the, spoke uh,
0: together actually at uh at one of these universities
1: mm.
0: that's how we got to know
2: each other
1: yeah well when i was when i was learning about yours the big thing that stood out to me is the 21st century is the 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 century for precision personalized medicine and growing up in the 90s what have you uh it was on off that's it and you're in a bucket and if you're in that bucket then you're not getting the best you know you have to you're not getting like like we're talking about just imagine the differences like for instance malnur- mal- is it, it seems similar to me as mal- malnourishment is to kids so if you don't feed kids well they lose 20 IQ points it, like you're saying this whole conversation imagine being three or four you're not getting you can't hear you can't see potentially as well and now you can't learn like people are going to be people just naturally will reach a point where they don't want to give you the best attention. Like i ever spent in a class where there's people in the front who are asking all the questions and the teacher's a little nicer to them and they have a parent that calls them anytime, so, you know, that they don't get that type of treatment. And then maybe you have one in the corner over there who can't really hear, or see anything and he's just reading the textbook and minding his own business. Uh, and feeling,
2: but, but
0: imagine the the feeling yeah. of constant rejection. Yeah. And not, not realizing it's not your fault. Yeah. Because you don't know any better. You don't know that you can hear. I've a re- it's, so I have a story about an ophthalmologist who, um, does, well, he's not an ophthalmologist. He's a surgical ophthalmologist. So he, he, um, operates on gliomas, which is a childhood cancer often that grows on the optic nerve. So it starts when they're one. And it basically it will grow to such an extent that your your visual field will degrade, so you yeah. actually stop. And they won't know until the kid is it has grown to such an extent that then finally the kid like starts walking into walls halfway because they're just they look like they're clumsy because they don't see the cup or whatever. So parents are like, "Yeah, my kid's uh, whatever," you know, but. Yeah. So that's my dream is one day we will have systems that will be so prevalent that that won't happen. You'll catch it at two because we can actually test the visual field without the child telling you, yeah, I can't see on the right hand side on the upper quadrant mom. So yeah, it is, but by the time they do find it, a lot of damage is done and then the, the operation is incredibly severe. So yeah, it's, I think exactly as you say also there's another level of technology i mean come on what does your phone do it can measure how many steps you do all right mine does it right i'm sure yours Mm -hmm. does as well i thought mine was like a personal gift from apple (laughs) like wow this is awesome thank you but you know imagine what we're so used to monitoring ecgs you know it's not like you have to count your heartbeats and that's very similar to what this is so why not move into the next century from pushing a button to say every time you hear something or see something?
1: Yeah, it's a little I, crazy
0: that we're still using that technology.
1: Yeah, it feels very barbaric. Barbaric. It does. But,
0: it feels so.
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. When I was reading about, it, I was like, oh, why is she doing B to B? She should do B to C. Just like go to all these, <laughs> like set up these little clusters, like like uh, roving blood donation vans that just go to towns. You know, set it up. Yeah. I think I think it'd yeah. be a really interesting thing. A study or an experiment. If you were to find some of the most difficult, you know, the problem schools, where like in America they have schools where it's like at a certain point you just get segregated into a school if you're like really bad at school or, or you're just bad in general, and you just yeah. gave this test to them, how I wonder, as a percentage, how many of them just had hearing or vision problems, they couldn't learn as effectively as everyone else. I bet it'd be like age? above eighty percent. Yeah. You
0: you're, you're talking my language. Yeah. yeah. Another interesting thing. How about the old elderly? Yeah. Do you know that if do you know you have a forty to fifty percent chance at a certain age to have a hearing problem? And do you know that if if that happens gradually enough, people won't notice because you just start to disappear. You'll start to isolate. Then the more isolated you get, the more mental health issues you get. The more isolated you get, and then by the time they actually find out, there's a, a five times correlation of uh, early onset dementia for with an unaddressed hearing problem and my dream actually what i want to do once we're out there is to go to these because we've been to elderly homes and they love our test they actually (laughs) we have to adjust our test for them because they always fall asleep but that's cool right you know there's no obviously there's no stress they get to pick the video maybe we do their grandkid photos or something i don't know whatever they Mm -hmm. want it's no problem to us but if we can make the test enjoyable, more people will be getting it. And then they can address the issues or even if they're not willing to wear the hearing aid, at least if the people around them know, oh, Joe can hear, but let's maybe make sure he's in the front of the room so he can read the lips or you know, help them out. But my dream is to go to some of these elderly homes particularly in some parts of the country where there's a huge percentage of Dementia, you know, it's almost like a warehouse for dementia at a certain point, because people mm-hmm. are living really long, but also they're living really long now with a lot of dementia. What would be cool is uh, to test them, because you can test people with dementia with our systems. Maybe if we can help address these hearing problems, I would be interested to see what that does, if it's possible to help reverse some of this.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it would be I,
0: cool, but I,
1: yeah. Yeah. I think that's the potential for the technology is really exciting, which is why when I saw like yeah. first, I think it's like you first start making money. I don't know if I'm allowed to say projections, so I'll I'll like dot, dot, dot that, but it's going to be a little bit before money starts yeah. scrolling in. And that was a sad first, like what? People are going to have to wait. I that thought it was going to be like, should, let's get this out like next week. Like all the kids I that know. are definitely going to need it, all the old, older people. But so you do, a, it's a hardware and software technology is like. Where right. most of the time people do software or they do hardware uh, and they bundle it together. What's the what's the hard part of of the, that bundle for you guys?
0: Okay, so we're really software. Yeah. So we're very much software. I don't have people, you know, building headsets and head because what we have the hardware we need. Honestly, we could just buy it off the shelf today. Yeah. But you know, we do want a cool looking system that's as accurate as possible and as comfortable as possible. So you want a very fine, uh, you, want the, you want the electrodes exactly where, you, where they need to be on the headband. You need the right fitting, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, so we'll, we're dealing with a hardware partner on that side, and we will merge our software with the hardware. But honestly, the system is running. We can do tests on people today. Uh, we are, actually, all the time. Um, but you have to get medical certification. And that's the real, and not that I, you know, we, you want to talk about unions and all these other things. Let's talk about regulation. So I'm completely supportive that, you know, if I drink tea from this cup, it doesn't explode in my face because somebody has said that this is safe to use as a cup. So I respect that, but it is, especially a startup, just those two years of redoing all your code to a certain standard and you document every step, That's a drag, man. Same on the hardware, then merging it, then doing clinical trials, which is no more than the validation test we're already doing, just more expensive and slower. And, you know, so it is what it is. But we hope to be in the market um, with a certified product in 2025. But people are welcome to come by, sign a release, and take a test.
1: Mm -hmm. I I think once you get over that hurdle of just spending money and, and validating, the i think this will yeah. be successful i, I mean when, once Thank you get out if if you know when, when it's out there and you need like someone to like go around to the, so many schools i'll even do that because i think it would be, be fun to do but um what, be great, uh, what, yeah i don't know uh i'm like i'm like i do my best so what what all do you need help with are you looking for people that you need to get you to those for the next couple of years to get you where you're going Like so basically this is anyone listening in, they will potentially apply <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, we have an amazing I have an amazing team i have, mm-hmm. I must say I feel very very blessed with our r and d team and they're so good I don't even think I can possibly tell them how good they are <laughs> because they're like writing this this system is unique. no one else has it. it's all patented and they're improving it every day so they're they're absolutely amazing as CEO, I'm almost like I'm almost frightened to then add in the marketing guy with all the bullshit, you know, the marketing people or the oh, yeah. you know, the the business guy who just basically does nothing and bangs his chest, you know, and these are all guys. It sounds very negative. I don't mean it like that. But it's
1: all right. I take it personal.
0: These, yeah, please don't but these <laughs> people are so talented. I'm almost tempted to, you know, so for professionals to build out, I would like to almost keep the DNA of the company as we're super cool. And we're doing something nobody else is, and that's just normal for us. Mm -hmm. So I I the team that we have is great. I um I'd like to just sort of partner with other people who live and die for we we build hardware and we think what you know, this is a great application for EEG, for example. So I'd like to do a lot of these other tasks with advisors and really experienced people who, if they rub me the wrong way, I replace them. Mm-hmm. You know, but I want to keep the core team just so the company and the DNA of the company, I believe, is so precious. But in terms of really bringing us from where we are to where we will be, um, we you need medical and scientific experts. So we've developed them here in the Netherlands. That's going really well. Uh, but of course, when we launch in the U.S., we're going to need... I don't know, the Mayo Clinic, you know, but really good hospitals and, and really key opinion leaders to also think this is cool. And maybe for a Dutch company, that's probably a little harder than it is here in the Netherlands. So I've reached out to a couple of um, universities. We don't have a lot of traction yet, but you know, I have no doubt somehow we'll get there, but perhaps this is one way that would be really helpful. Uh, and the other thing is, is of course the financing. You know, there is good financing here in Europe, but I think in the States, they are, and not to be, you know, American do or die, but they're a little bit more, not risk loving, but risk familiar. And I think that makes it hard because everyone, you know, I just went through a round with some VCs and everyone says, well, where's your revenue? And I'm like, guys, there will be revenue, but I need to be certified. And that's quite a, quite a big check. And they're all like, yeah, call us when you've got revenue. And I'm like, sweetheart, when I get revenue, I don't need you. <laughs> yeah. So there is that mismatch. And I think there's less of that in, in the States, which is also that mentality the States has, which is let's give it a try. It could really work and be amazing.
2: Yeah. And
0: Europe can be more conservative. So those would be the two key areas, which is really getting in with the right key opinion leaders to support the idea and, You know energizes as well and also on the financing side
1: yeah the um i would think that would be easier to get it regulated in america versus europe as well because like we're we don't have the best regulations that's that's why uh that's why the the sackler jerks were able to push the opioid epidemic on everyone they wanted they wanted germans little label i hate them so much I hate the sacklers uh long time listeners will know i'll start swearing if i keep going but uh they they basically like gutted an entire generation of people and they only had to give like a modicum of a fine and they still made billions of dollars i don't think you should make money if you like like gut the heartland of america and like they're like corded like wood stacks of people dying from opioid epidemic um overdoses and stuff from these people but uh but the nice thing about that is our laws are not as stringent, so maybe it's, it'll be easier for you to come over here and then get 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 the good stuff in as we get rid of the bad stuff, is what I'm saying. I, I, I don't mean to associate the two. What you're building is not like the sackless.
2: just hey, to be entirely not, clear.
0: For the listeners, we're not an opioid.
1: Yes, yes. Just to be clear. <laughs> so I'm like, throw <laughs> it right in. I'll get it right in.
0: Yeah, I will a it. required hearing test is not an opioid. No, I, I, look, that's one thing. I am totally not sensitized to is the opioid crisis. Because it happened during those years where I have lived here in Europe. And perhaps I'm just the biggest noob in the world, but I don't think it's an issue here.
2: I Probably mean, granted not.
0: I had a baby and they would gave me an aspirin, after two days of labor, well, that was my pain med, but you know, I would be pissed if other people were getting opioids and I got a, a paracetamol. But um, so I, 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 I don't know. I don't. But it is. It seems. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of a unique American thing, which is horrible and sad. But yeah, the, it's something happily very far from my my
2: life
1: yeah, and my the, experience. The sacklers were able to get someone at the fda to help them write like their special label and all this other stuff and that person at the FDA went on to work for them and make millions of dollars it's also that scenario where you, you can pitch the doctor specifically how like you can market your drugs in america you can't do that in europe like like every day you you haven't seen this since you left the 90s but when there are commercials i don't watch commercials I, I i hate commercials i will delete a service if they have commercials but the random ones if like if, I, if like your sponsor something like that, that's different but the uh like there will be marketing ads for like 10 different types of Viagra or like 10 different types of like heart medication and it's like or like 10 different types of like STD cure things It's like there's a lot of marketing that like that pumps stuff and so I think it is uniquely American and I guess it is that the element of like we don't we just try stuff but in this case it was terrible and the company who did it should probably should have been bankrupt and like uh I don't know there should be like a giant like sovereign fund to, that pays out anyone who has that takes all their money put it in a sovereign fund like like the norwegians do with the oil and then yeah. uh anyone who gets the a oil op-
2: yeah
1: yeah. And, yeah and we take that and they respond they invest it like a like a pension fund but whenever you have like an opioid problem like an addiction like a little bit gets pulled out and it funds the treatment center so you can get better versus like the local municipality
0: yeah no i no argument the only thing is yeah Obama once said something that I like. I love Obama. I mean, I know he has whatever decisions and things, but I, as a, as a moral person, I I like some of the things he says an awful lot. And he said something is, you know, just imagine you're like the richest guy in, or gal in the world, and you're walking down a street with children and elderly and homeless and s- sad and awful and starving and gar, you know how good do you really feel like how much money do you really need to make to make you feel good about ruining people's lives like i i just don't maybe i'm getting old but i just don't see the point of getting up in the morning and saying i'm gonna put more money in my bank account by destroying lives a very nice kind humans that are that are could be my friends or my family, or even if they're not, they're still human and they deserve our respect. I don't know. I just I don't see the point. Like, how could you? How could you feel good about that? I,
2: yeah, I don't, probably don't think about I've been it.
0: Been over here too long. I just don't see the point. Like, how how do you get joy? Oh, hey, lol, I'm worth a billion and I killed seventy five thousand people. You know, what kind of people do you hang out with? That would like you for that. Oh, I don't
2: they're, know. Billionaires.
1: <laughs> they're billionaires. They're billionaires. I have like I have like ten billionaire friends, and then we just like smoke cigars in a circle. Be like, yeah, we well, were say, in the Congo oh, yesterday. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think I think I don't want to dox where you live, but I think you live in an area, and I'm not like pointing fingers, but I think you live in an area that has like a they did really bad things in the Congo but I think I think it's like that once it's like oh, far moved you Belgium. don't see it that
0: was Belgium
2: yeah, yeah. okay
1: good it's just, just not where you're at but uh apparently France has the same problem like they actually get a lot of their money from uh Africa still but African colonies or whatever but the uh, but it seems like if it's far enough away like if you have like a know, private jet yeah you don't see yeah. it you don't think about it I don't I, yeah. if you were to if you were to pull these people and say hey if you thought about this like if you actually could read their brain their the first thought was I've never heard of this in my for, this is the first time I heard of this in my life insert generic pr response so i don't get firebombed. like this probably like, it's probably a very like boring response they just don't think I think
0: so it's like the not in my backyard distance yes what is it absence makes the heart well the opposite of makes the heart grow fonder but yeah out of sight out of mind
1: yeah i think every yeah, community right. every community at a certain point becomes like an NIMBY community like not in my backyard yeah like whether it's a yeah. democrat or republican uh oh yeah at, like, for sure it, it's all the same like it, whether it's yeah. california or like a really really red state uh it, At a certain point, people just don't want things in their backyard, and I think it's a similar thing. Like, oh, we could build, you know, better housing, so then the housing prices go down. But then they're like, "Well, you ruined my skyline." It's like, okay, but there's homeless people everywhere. I don't know. But now we're just like soapboxing. We're all agreeing with each other here. Yeah, sorry, we're um, all
0: over. But I think I don't know. I just I do find that I don't know making your money by hurting people seems. I I can tell you that I get a lot of energy about the fact that. We have a great commercial market. Yeah. And we're doing the right thing. And the combination is just very, you know, it, it makes me feel happy. It just energizes me. And I think it yeah. also brings people, we have the most amazing young people to come work with us. And you know, meanwhile, these guys were used to just sitting in a dark room and programming and doing stuff. And with us, they get out there and they see the people that they can help. And they see the smiles. And they say, wow, you know, this is like the human, it's making human lives better. Mm -hmm. And these are people who never thought about their work really reaching the real world. Yeah. And and if you brought yourself to the real world and like, then the patient dies, you know, how good would you feel? I don't know. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah.
0: But I, there is a, I feel, uh, I guess, blessed that you're doing these, my favorite two things and I don't have to choose. Yes i kind
1: of like that yeah i like it when doing like well works out yeah it, it's like yeah it's a it's a supply i i there i've had people on the show that are building products that break up the supply chain so that then like uh where earth minerals that are like mined by slaves and like these giant death pits they won't they won't we won't need those and so um but but, but the, the problem is like when you have a country that has all these regulations like treat the employees well versus a country that doesn't and they're allowed to be on the same playing field, then they're just going to go like slave. That's why like Nestle uh, did a lot of bad things. They, they they tried owning water. I mean I don't know. They're like they're like pretty evil. I've heard a,
2: that story.
0: Yeah, where yeah. they dug up somebody's water, put it in bottles, and then sold it back.
1: Yeah. Well, they also they did this thing in the I think the eighties and nineties where they went up to nursing mother and this is, and then I have like one last question that we can oh. wrap up. But the, oh, the, they I went they went to thing. yeah they went to nursing mothers in the nineties in Africa said hey. Our uh, powdered milk is better for your kids. We're going to give yeah. you a free amount for as much as you needed until your milk dried up. And then they'll be like, well, now you have to pay for it. They like killed. They caused a famine. I don't know. They, I don't know. It's, it's pretty terrible. But on a positive note, what are some books you recommend that we check out?
2: <laughs> books. Oh, yes. Like I need to read. Uh,
0: oh, I read. Gosh. I read so much, but I don't even remember the names. Um, what do I love?
1: Yeah. Or would that you recommend to me personally? If there's like, from this conversation, Oh, like, oh you like- I think
0: the most, the most beautiful book. Well, I don't, it's yeah. A soldier of the great war. by Mark Alfred.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, I, don't I know haven't read I've that read. one before. No, it's I'll check it out. Long,
0: but it's just gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Like, I just think it's, it's, it's a beautiful story of this man's life young man in Italy during a uh, uh, the First World War and then through the second world War, and it's he's just an incredible character, incredible mm. man. It's beautifully written. I don't know, it's just uh, I, I love it. you know, I, I've read it a hundred times oh sweet but no, I think yeah, that's a beautiful book, but i I don't even know the names of books. I just read um almost everything
2: mm-hmm.
0: that I get my hands on. I just truck over to the American bookstore and then, you know, in Lida. <laughs> Fill up my bag. I mostly buy secondhand books now because I read so many. Mm-hmm. Bring home a bag and then, uh,
1: yeah. Is there, oh, go ahead.
0: No, no, no. The one thing I do find is, especially with this job, uh, you're working a lot of hours with a lot of decisions and stress and all this other stuff, doing things faster and faster, and as well as you can possibly do and leading a team of people that's, quite different you know so you have all these things reading taking time away from this and just relaxing some of that some of your brain to just sit in a corner and read whatever it is is something i need to remember to do again
1: yeah it, because you it, have to turn off yeah it, it, once you get in the habit of doing it, it's fantastic i think yeah. winston churchill read a book every night during the blitz and he you know england prevailed as the uh but I think <laughs> that's a beautiful
2: Absolutely. Yes. But
1: the, uh, where, where can people stay up to date? Is it, do you have a newsletter or something, or it's just like monitor your website? And then what is the website if that's the best way?
0: Um, the website, also, we're getting better, although I do find it kind of challenging, this whole LinkedIn thing and posting and stuff. But I'm, I am committed to keeping my LinkedIn up to date as to all our new events and things like that. Yeah. So that's our I think LinkedIn and then for the big press releases it'll be on our press release page. But uh I think those are the two key ways. So we were just written about in a Dutch magazine so I'm going to be posting that again. And then um Yeah, I, I should be better. I I didn't I haven't really thought about that as much as I should mm-hmm. and my investors are going to all yell at me if they see this next week. for <laughs> a shareholder meeting from her not being more Positive, uh-huh. but as a small company, writing a newsletter is kind of, you know, that's challenging. Yeah. Or be an investor and I'll update you every month with a personal you, note for me. <laughs>
1: I'll give you $1. <laughs> uh, Excellent. righty then. All right. All right. Uh, I want to thank uh, you, Jennifer, for coming on today. Uh, uh, I know you couldn't admit that you were related to Jane Goodall, but- uh, I wish we, I, I were. Think I, think I-,
0: I wish I were. I used to pretend- <laughs> To be cool, I'd be
1: like, yeah, she's my mom. Yeah. We hang. Well, I think, Anne, and I think I love maybe monkeys. you're.
0: I love monkeys.
1: Well, monkeys are kind of evil creatures, but the, uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show today, talking about your work, what you're working on, helping us understand what it's like to negotiate. Uh, I just want to thank you so much for coming on today.
0: Oh, it's lovely to speak with you, Lowell. Thank you for having me.